and welcome to the deep end where we're taking a deeper look into sports and sports science every week and this week i'm joined by my co-host ville hello hello um right i would need to ask you what have you been up to in the past week uh just recently i competed again in nash unit at tampere i'm going to turn you down because i know for a fact you're like way <laughs> Like, yeah, like, screaming. You can see the wave, the waveforms. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I competed uh, again uh, in Nashville Week. Uh, for the listeners, we tried to do this episode two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, on Tuesday, uh, on Saturday, we were at Marty Algren, the competition, I think. Marty Algren, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a weird name. And that was my first competition in Tampere. Um... I worked a power team, and that went really well. I set a finished record for S4 uh, classification um, for a 100-meter backstroke. And then recently, again, uh, this 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 past Saturday, I did it again in the same category, in the same event, uh, 10 seconds faster. So I swam the first time 3 minutes and 15, and now I swam... Three minutes and four seconds, so about eleven seconds. And the guy who did the record, uh, he did it in three minutes and forty-eight seconds in nineteen seventy-six. So, which was so long ago, and that was even before I was born. No, no, no way. It's wrong. Yeah. Back when, back when there was only a couple of channels on TV. <laughs> everything was in black and white. Yeah. School on a horse. Yeah, okay. They had like telegraphs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then I also had uh, backstroke uh, f- fifty meter, and then freestyle fifty meter, and. Um, and uh, I felt my ba- my freestyle this time in Nash uh, it was better than uh, two weeks ago. I felt faster. I was actually faster by six seconds, which is good to know. And also, you know, uh, in in general as a competitor, especially in swimming, when you comp- compete in less than two weeks and you see improvements in every uh, event, you tend to be very happy and satisfied. Yeah. Um, and it's in two weeks, so I'm I'm hoping for you know in a month or in December when we have uh, especially the Finnish Championships in Varsa that um, that you know the the gains would be insane you know the the improvement the technique and everything. Mm. Um, last night I was at the pool in with the same one. And um, also on Sunday, and I realized that after I swam uh, the 100 meter backstroke, the last 25, there was this like weird, like super sane mode that like, like I, I felt it, like it was like super focused, and I felt both hands working really well, and just pulling pulling the water really well, and I tried to get into that same mode for freestyle and I was able to kind of mimic reverse backstroke in freestyle a little bit um the pull on my left in my left hand so it doesn't doesn't do like it starts to do now more work than just be a balancing buoy and just drop (laughs) itself so I'm hoping with more concentration and and um and just like actively focusing on it in the coming months and weeks, 
twice a day uh, and going to the gym and stuff that um that we will get more power and uh, go yeah. faster uh, i'm worried about if i go fa- when i go faster the faster that i go the more tired i will become because of the water pool on my legs so the the drag yeah I think. there will be more drag and but i feel i feel the drag now with my legs like sometimes yeah. when i'm not feeling well in the in the day and stuff um, the drag affects it so much more mentally as well. Like you, you feel consciously like this is yeah. So this is bad. And if if people aren't swimmers, that it's really hard to picture just exactly how sort of your body works through the water compared to say me. Yeah. Because while I'm swimming, I'm quite a lazy kicker. Yeah. I do enough of a kick to keep my legs up at the surface yep. and they're horizontal. Yep. And that's fine. So you're creating relatively minimal drag. But your legs, because of the, your condition, yep. they kind of sit at 90 degrees. Kind of, yeah. And the idea to try... And I actually I fiddled around with it. I was playing in the pool. Yeah, it's I was, doing, I was doing single arm drills because I yeah. wanted to develop my left arm a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And... It's tiring. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. It's to insane. Through the water. It's insane. It's and like it's unbelievable, and I'm doing it with one hand practically. Yeah. So it's even it's, more like. I mean, it's the equivalent of a regular swimmer having a drag parachute behind yeah, yeah, them. Exactly. It's rough. I mean, it, yeah. To be honest, I've swam with the drag parachute. This seems harder because then it affects the whole angle that you are exactly. through the water. And you yeah, remember, with the drag parachute, only one arm as well. Yeah. So it's it's even worse. Yeah. You know, it's more. It, it was, it's a. It, it's one of the reasons why I find. This sounds a bit strange. Why I find you fascinating as a swimmer, <laughs> because there's there's so many different things that you think you might be able to change, but then I don't under understand enough. Yeah. About your disability. Yeah, yeah. To figure out what things we can change about your body, what we can train. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's why, it's, weirdly, I spend far too much time thinking about you and your swimsuit in the swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. And visualizing the way that you swim. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, we, we, we did these videos recently. And yeah, yeah. Looking at those, I can spot like a dead spot. In yeah, yeah, stroke. me too. Yeah, yeah. And with practice, I think we can time your left arm a little bit so you are oh for sure i've been thinking about this as well uh ever since competition uh, the first one and then the camp uh last week the paratine camp in Parati, um and also just having swam uh coming off from the summer's high in competition um you know the no one's uh, for me at least uh no one's more motivated to swim Right after, then after a competition, because oh, yeah. because you you you've done your best, you you done your best times, you are successful, and then you just want to get better, and so you have so much momentum that it just carries you yeah. in those uh, prior the other swim practices afterwards, and um, I've noticed that the energy level now, and I've been thinking about it physically and also mentally in the water. Um, on Sunday, all I did for like 30 minutes was just flip around in the deep end for like 30 yeah. minutes, just having fun. And then uh, I tried to reverse the backstroke, as I said earlier, into the freestyle and to, to really pull with the left hand and then pull with the right hand, pull with the left hand, and then do that like splashy splash, just splash around and stuff. <laughs> 
and then um, I know in my head like intuitively it's it's a good sign because I know it's possible I know it's it's possible and when when that happens um, I know that it's just a matter of time for it to click or to come yeah. through but whenever I have uh, in my life until now there's any challenges whether it's piano uh, navigating the right hand with the piano because I, I can't use my thumb on the piano so I, I play with four fingers technically and um, well, bear in mind I've tried playing the piano yeah. I've got two good hands I just use two fingers <laughs> yeah so I know if I visualize something and or I, I have a, like an intuition that I, I know it's possible and then then it it's a good sign like if it's, if it was like i know it's not possible then it's it's a war yeah and then and if i if i if i think it's not possible then that means that i have done the due diligence of just thinking every possible angle and the final conclusion is it's not possible right yeah. well, so so far what we can see is that you're already making huge jumps in your performance exactly and then there's still stuff that we can see that we can improve yeah to make even bigger jumps yeah yeah at, the, at which point we start thinking about qualifying for the paralympics exactly yeah and that's you know that's the ultimate goal and the, the ultimate dream would be to qualify um at, at the right as of right now i think my goal is to swim uh the, the finnish championships under my classification, we got news yesterday that the the qualifier classifier will be ready for uh, classifying sometime in November. So I'm hoping it's not too bad. It's not too bad, but I'm hoping to <coughs> make the um, Grand Prix swimming in Espo mm-hmm. uh, if it's in time. It's like the 12th and 11th, so it's a little bit of a window, a small window now to get classified. Um, but if it's if it's not possible, then we have Pico Yolot again in Tampere. So it's that I think whatever happens, unless my coach is adamantly against competing in Pico Yolo, that's when I would like to compete, or a couple of times in in November. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that um, always having now two competitions behind me and very relatively close in in space between each other. Um, that the more experience that you get, uh, the better it is. Uh, yeah. And um, for, but for me, as Andy was here on the one of the swims, I, I'm like a very weird person because I assume the worst in the swimming. You are so negative. It's it's I'm like so negative. I'm like <laughs> it's insane. Like I told when I, I when I swam the actually a funny side story. During my uh, previous 100-meter swim uh, in the backstroke, my first turn, I think it was my first turn, I I turned to my stomach, and I forgot to close my mouth. I don't know how that works. (laughs) I forgot to close my mouth, so I turned to my stomach, and I inhaled just what felt like the entire pool, and then I turned, and I was swimming back, and as I was swimming back to the the starting wall where I left, I was like, "Okay, this is, I'm 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 physically injured. I shouldn't be swimming. I'm going to stop at the wall. I'm just going to give up and do <laughs> And then, as I was approaching the wall, 
and I turned to touch the wall, I'm like, well, since I'm already at the wall, might as well just give it one more effort, you know? <laughs> and I took off, and then I, I touched the wall, and um, on the, the third turn, when I took when I touched the wall legally, all legally, which is I'm happy about, because that's always a struggle in backstroke, um, when I went off, I was like, okay, well, since, you know, since we're about to go home anyway, we're going to, we're going to do everything. And I focused up, I looked at the ceiling, didn't look at the people who were staring at me, and then just really focused on left hand, right hand. And every time I, uh, I would say, I did the pool, did the veto uh, in the in the water, um, uh, I, I made sure that every pool did work, and I was physically working, and that was a really good focus. Um, you know, swim, and I, I mean that. I think that last bit of energy cut uh, ten seconds off or eleven yeah. seconds off that of the of the thing. And I think uh, when I see the video sometime soon this week or next week from the live stream, uh, my coach told me that it was actively. You looked like you're actively um, hauling out, so to speak. Yeah, I saw you, your turn looked pretty good on. Was I, was I watching the 100 free or the 50 free? Uh, the free, on um, 50, I yeah, think. Free, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think and the 50, uh, even though I was tired or I looked tired, I felt great. I was like, oh, this is this is going quite smoothly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I'm not tired, I'm not doing anything. So, um, yeah. I also noticed everybody now knows who you are because I'm sure you've ran over everybody's toes. No, no, I, I, I try to always avoid doing, I try my best to avoid uh, running over of toes. Course you do. I do, because yeah. the thing is, if I run over someone's toes or I bump into someone, I fall instantly because I'm, so <laughs> I'm so tiny and the chair is so tiny. I always make sure to like mind where I'm about to roll. I now We're going to have to get your bicycle bell. Exactly. Ding, 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 ding. Now, colliding with people, especially little kids who are the same height as me, and around corners, that I've done several times in both competitions, uh, whether it's like teenagers who are like not looking down and I'm like turning the corner and they're just bumping to me, or actually kids who are like my height, you know, like me yeah. sitting down, and we would like be going to like straight or something or uh, turning the corner. And then they were bumping to me and like just jump into my lap, or I would like hug them because <laughs> I don't want to fall. So I like I like I like you know scream or I don't scream, but I say hey, make sure I don't fall. And then they yeah. they always catch me. I, I never had a kid that just said nope, <laughs> just, just fall, <laughs> just fall. <laughs> I never had that. I I wish I'd had it once to to like to laugh about it in hindsight. But I've never had like one kid go, nope, I don't just <laughs> just drop me. <laughs> just let you go. They always just they always got me in time. And I always got them in time as well, so it's just great. But um yeah, so right, let's let's actually yeah, yeah. talk about what we, we came here to yeah, talk exactly. about. Yeah, exactly. So we'll talk about we can, we can talk about swimming for a lot, but yeah, yeah. we we the idea with the the whole podcast is to try and talk about some of the the, the stuff that people kinda know about and then to go a little bit deeper. So, what do you know about EPO, EPO, or erythropoietin? Uh, we, we did this podcast two weeks ago. No, we already recorded. I've forgotten yeah. everything. And I have forgotten most of it. <laughs> I have an Andy moment right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have very few senior moments. I'm not that old. 
I don't know what to talk about. I just remember the story in the end, to be honest. <laughs> I feel bad, too. All right, tell me what you know about EPO. Um, it's used in, in cheating in sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole, so. the whole thing with erythropoietin is that these drugs are almost never, with a few minor exceptions, the drugs that people use in sports are never designed for people right, in sports. Yeah, They're designed for, yeah. well, designed or made or discovered, literally to help people that are very ill. Yeah. So, EPO, or it's a naturally produced hormone in your body, and it's produced in your kidneys in response to cellular hypoxia. Mm-hmm. So, if you're not getting enough oxygen, your body will produce more blood cells so that you can carry more of the oxygen that you're actually getting mm-hmm. to your working tissues. If you're a sports person, we're thinking about getting more oxygen to your muscles so you can work harder for longer. Right. Um, so it's the, the erythropoiesis, the actual blood cell production, is done in your bone marrow and generally in your long bones, like in your femur and whatnot. Yeah. So we just said, why is it used? You can work harder for longer. Right. The, the funny thing is, it's trying to get real information on how much harder and how much longer. So my stuff is, well, my knowledge has been mainly from cycling. And they say you can get about an extra 10%, sometimes a little bit less, but let's say on average 10% more working power. So let's say you're Philip Organa, you're doing 460 watts for an hour, or probably 440-ish. But it's a huge amount of power, but 10% on top of that, that puts him up at 500 watts. Right, Which right, is right. unbelievable. Yeah. So, as you, as you, if you can, 10% is like the difference between the guy that finishes first and the guy that finishes pack fodder down in the... Yeah. Like, it's a huge difference. Right. And we've seen it with a, a few... Sort of, there was a guy called uh, John Tiernan Locke from Britain... They got caught with EPO a few years ago. And he went from being a pretty average domestic cyclist to suddenly, within about six months, he'd won a few sort of second-tier races, and they did the testing on him and went, you're our guy for the World Championships, <laughs> ahead of guys like, at the time like Bradley Wiggins and yeah. and, and Geraint Thomas, who've both won the Tour de France. And yeah. He went, he's going to be the guy. And right after the... the World Championships where he didn't perform that well probably because he wasn't using EPO all of the time yeah because he knew he was going to get tested yeah then straight afterwards he tested positive and he thought oh, it wasn't me it wasn't me it was a tainted supplement or something yeah 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 right so we'll have to go into the history of EPO EPO is kind of interesting in itself because it's only been around since 1977 okay. when it was first isolated from the urine of anemic patients right right so people that aren't producing enough blood cells, you can actually find this particular hormone. Okay. 83, they identified the gene that you can actually produce it. Yep. And then it was cloned in hamster cells in 1985. So once you essentially did it in a Petri dish, in a very simple terms, you get recombinant EPO, which is what, what we're really talking about. We're not actually taking it from animals, you're taking it from hamster cells mm-hmm. and then producing more of it. Then actually manufactured and put on the market in 1989. Mm-hmm. So this is where you get... So basically, as soon as it went on the market, yep. there was people experimenting with it. And the the person that really pioneered the use of EPO in sports people, a guy called Francesco Conconi. 
Mm. Now his story's pretty cool. If cool by cool you mean evil genius. So he was actually employed by the International Olympic Committee and or the Italian Coney to come up with a test for EPO. Mm-hmm. Because they knew that this was a drug that's probably going to be uh, abused in sports, mm-hmm. so we need to find a test for mm-hmm. it. So he did a test with 23 amateur triathletes, mm-hmm. treated them with EPO, mm-hmm. and then you try and you test their blood, their urine, to see if there's any markers that you mm-hmm. can see between control subjects. Yeah. Turns out there weren't 23 amateur triathletes. They were all top uh, cyclists from Italian teams. Okay. And those guys went on to just destroy from 1990 <laughs> up until about 1993 yeah where because he'd had more experience of dosing people to try and get the best performance out of them yeah and there were some cases uh, a guy called Tony Romiga who was one of the, the first people to use it mm-hmm. and let's say 1991 1990 uh, Tour of Spain and got it a bit wrong and he didn't perform very well mm-hmm. but they really got the hang of it by this point. And then, so this all came out during a police raid uh, at the University of Ferrara. Okay. And they revealed that not amateurs, but elite professionals from the mainly the Carrera team. Mm-hmm. Now, the Carrera team, if you look back, were possibly the most stylish team of the era mm-hmm. because it was Carrera jeans. Okay. So they had Lycra that looked like jeans. Okay. Back in the early 90s. Yeah. Can you imagine acid wash jean denim lycra? How cool we would have looked back there. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a mental picture for that, so I have no idea what you're saying. Imagine but, uh, cyclists in jeggings. Don't know what that is either. You, you have no style. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I maybe know the word, but... You know, like denim, farkut. Farkut, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had like, that kind of design on their... They, yeah, they had the, those jeans. But it was Lycra made to look like denim jeans. Oh, okay. That sounds uncomfortable for it, cycling. It was ugly as sin. It's, it sounds uncomfortable <laughs> too. I would, I would uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful my legs don't work that well to be punished for those style. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the Winter Olympics that came after that with uh, Conconi being the, the team doctor, mm-hmm. they won. 34 medals at the Winter, at the but, winter Olympics. So you said uh, uh, recently that they hired him to make a test to... Prevent this. Prevent this. And so did he do that? Did he make the test? No. Or he just he went just, on cheating? He just dosed a lot of athletes and then made a lot of money yeah, yeah, yeah. by dosing a lot of athletes with EPO. I mean, you know, the guy is, you know, might be Italian, but he... Definitely born in the wrong country. Yeah, you've got to take your hat <laughs> off to him, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Doing the, the, yeah. It's the, the evil genius of going, oh, yeah. If you, so he actually got it from the Anti-Doping Association. Yeah. They paid for the EPO, <laughs> which he then gave to athletes yeah, yeah. who were then paying him to, to for the EPO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, he's a smart guy. It's, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, and then there was a guy working with him called Michele Ferrari. Okay. Now, his name among cycling, because he was sort of the kingmaker in cycling, mm. through the 90s and into the 2000s. And then, so he'd helped, his most famous one is Lance Armstrong. Okay. So the 1999 tour, he was helping Lance Armstrong with his, his doping for mm. it. Mm-hmm. So mainly EPO, bit of blood bags, bit of growth hormone, bit of testosterone, yeah. cortisone. Yeah. Um, 
to, but as he was helping Armstrong, he was also helping some of his uh, competitors as well. Okay. Because it was all about the money. Yeah, yeah. By about 2000, 2001, Armstrong okay. was making enough money that he said, you can work with other athletes, but not cyclists. <laughs> and he was paying him, we don't know how many millions, yeah, yeah. to not work with other people. Yeah, so so he has like the secret sauce to cheating, basically. That was pretty much what people called it. Whether yeah. whether he genuinely had the secret sauce, yeah, or he knew how to evade the tests, yeah, yeah, he knew the correct dosages, yeah, yeah. We don't know exactly what it was. Why Michele Ferrari and people still want to work with him now, and he's banned from working with athletes. Okay, now is this the same Ferrari that makes the car? So different. No, Ferrari? different okay. one. Yeah. Same name. Same name. Okay. But you know, nominative, nominative determinism. I mean, both had to go fast. Makes you know? everybody go really fast. <laughs> yeah, both had to go. And, yeah, it, yeah. so Ferrari was uh, Armstrong's most famous uh, link. But I mean, now the Italians have two Ferraris that they seem yeah. proud of. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Italians were doing amazing in cycling through the 90s into the early 2000s. Yeah. And now they actually, actually have a, a, what do you call it, a urine test for EPO. Yeah. It's... Much harder. I'm not going to say impossible, yeah. but much harder to dope with it, yeah. especially at the top level. Yeah, yeah. There was some team in Portugal just got caught this week. This week, oh yeah, this week. I, I, when I when I wrote this out, I was talking about uh, in the Volta uh, Colombia a few years ago, where yeah. I don't know, like seven of the top ten all tested positive. For yeah, like I think the heavens, the timing is couldn't be perfect. <laughs> yeah, so. But in, in like the lower level racing, so like uh, let's say like the, the Volta Portugal. Yeah, yeah. It's they don't they just don't have the money to test everybody. Yeah, yeah. But they do a little bit of testing and then once one test positive they've got probably his teammates as well. And yeah, for yeah. Like seven of eight people this, tested positive. You know, this actually brings uh, like a sort of a adjacent um, uh, drama to uh, what is going on what is going on what is going on now? Sorry, I can't English today. Apparently, uh, in the chess world, so they're cheating in the Hans Niemann case, uh, and Magnus Carlsen and Maxim Delugi and stuff. Um, one of the questions is, when the organizations now and tournament holders, uh, organizers, sorry, not tournament holders, uh, uh, organize tournaments. At what level, like when your daughter competes, at what level do we now increase security to yeah. combat cheating? And I think, uh, and I think that's a very good question and a very interesting conundrum because obviously, regardless of whether what side of the fence you're on, uh, regarding this current chess drama unfolding itself. Seems week by week at this at this rate. Um, how do we prevent cheating in chess? Is similar, yeah. and well, I'm about, I'm about to go compete again. Yeah, uh, like with in, chess. In winter, so. This this particular one, I know it's often a tangent, but yeah, every, if you haven't heard about the Hans Niemann, <laughs> Magnus Carlsen stuff, so Hans Niemann has admitted to cheating a couple of times in online chess using the chess engine, and now and reports. Now has come out he's done over 100 times <laughs> yeah so when they're analyzing the moves yeah, yeah. now you'll understand this much better than i will uh, yeah so they're analyzing the moves and they go that's probably not a natural move that exactly. you learn and it's something from a, yeah. a chess engine mm -hmm. which yeah. nowadays you can get a chess engine for a, a, an, a, a for a home computer 
that should be able to beat any grandmaster. Yeah, I have I have several on my, on yeah. my iPhone right which now. Is, which is an, on an iPhone, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's... So now you have to sort of stop people from using these things. Yeah. So, obviously, you can't have a phone. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a delay to mm-hmm. any live feed. Exactly. So, it's a 15-minute delay. But the, re- the thing that people came up with for how Hans Niemann was cheating in over-the-board games... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is brilliant. Now yeah. there's no evidence of it. No, not there's yet. There's no evidence. Not yet. <laughs> but I love the idea that somehow he has a vibrating egg stuck inside his bum hole. <laughs> anal beads. Anal, yeah. A vibrating anal bead. <laughs> which I'm sure if I put those at my bum, I could tell on my face. <laughs> I'm not sure if it would, no, I'm not sure what the look would be. No, but you yeah. could tell by my face yeah, exactly. if I had yeah. a vibrating thing. Just but they don't vibrate all the time. <laughs> And the idea is that a critical um, moment in the game, yeah. somehow there's a somebody's communicating with the anal bead and it yeah. just vibrates at a critical moment to take care. Yeah, it's not yeah. telling him which move with Morse code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not going... Bzz, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. Night to, it, it's not doing that. It's just saying, be really aware. Yeah, yeah. And Magnus Carlsen had said that you, in, a, in a, that level game, yeah. you only make one mistake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you've got somebody to communicate that, maybe right now is the time that you have to really concentrate. Yeah, exactly, and, and find don't make the a mistake. Move. Exactly, and don't make a mistake. Yeah, and it's possible, but there's no evidence that he's got this thing. The the, the, the the absolute fascinating theory, the the chain how this theory led up is just quite astonishing. So, the origins of this anal bead theory. Was it comes from an off-handed comment uh, on a chess block stream uh, at that time hosted by Eric Hansen, a grandmaster from Canada, Montreal, and his clip from Twitch was uh, clipped, which means like from the it was cut from the stream and shared uh, and posted everywhere, and Elon Musk got a hold of this clip and tweeted it out, and that was just. Fueled fire, fueling the fire, just oh, well, gigantically. Um, well, just be, just, <laughs> just because Elon Musk managed to tweet it out, exactly. Therefore, it must be bollocks. No, so but it, no. It's, I mean, like, just imagine the audience and just how many more people just. Well, yeah, because that's that's why I'm aware of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I mean, I, I'm as a chess player who who competed when I was younger. I'm just. Astonished on the 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 view and the popularity of just how how, how much has grown exponentially over the last ten years or five yeah. years even because when when I was younger I would tell people I played chess uh, at like a really good level they would be like oh but it's just you know a game and but to these high level players it's more a sport than a game yeah. it's so oh, yeah it's and so high I mean it's, I mean, I can vaguely remember like the Bobby Fisher years. Yeah, exactly. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Which was very much. Who was he playing? Spassky? Boris Spassky. Yeah, yeah Boris Spassky. Yeah. And that was very much the Cold War, America versus. Yeah, the, yeah. The, and that was like its time for for its time. It was so hyped up because yeah. of the Cold War era in the backdrop. So they, the Americans and the Russians. You know, Russians sent a monkey to the, <laughs> to the space <laughs> so they could be like, I was first. Uh, I think it was a monkey. It was a monkey and then the, no, a, a like dog. A, the dog. Oh, exactly, the dog. But then there was a monkey from the States then? Uh, some, someone Which, saw a monkey. 
if you if you can go on YouTube, <laughs> you can actually there's an audio recording of that ape oh, coming no. back and uh, not surviving. Which oh is no, horrendous. Oh, horrible. That's unethical. Oh no. No, but there's an audio recording of the uh, the, the, the ape got the, the chimp. I think got a name afterwards. But yeah, yeah. I I can't remember the name, but uh, the dog yes. But the just the backdrop of just any any slight advantage that we can say we're better than you. Yeah. Other than going to war, you know, yeah, so they would take it. So and chess so, became part of a so chess war, became, which is bizarre. And then, uh, and then Fisher became, you know, the 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 poster child for yeah. Team America, and then Boris Stasky for Team Russia, um, which is interesting. I mean, yeah, definitely. So right. Back now, to, on to, now on to proper sports. Back, so about chess, <laughs> back to which psychology. is just a game. Exactly, just a game. Yeah. 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 Um, so where were we? Yeah. So Italy, they won. 34 medals at that that Olympics and they do were doing blood tests mm-hmm. and most of the Italian athletes had a hematocrit level of over 50% so hematocrit is basically just the so this 50% just means that the blood that you take out is 50% red mm-hmm. blood cells yeah. then 50% plasma white blood cells and yeah. other stuff yeah. that's in there now generally your hematocrit sits at about 41 42% yeah so even then, so you've got this limit that which was introduced in 1997, mm-hmm. where if your blood levels go over 50% when mm-hmm. they test you, they can't ban you because it might be happening naturally, mm-hmm. but they have they make you have a two week rest for your okay. health. Yeah, so yeah. it was just a health check. Mm-hmm. So even when that health check came in, mm-hmm. so it's not a proper test, it's highly indicative mm-hmm. of having of having doped. Yeah. But Let's say I have a level of forty percent, means I can then dope up to fifty percent, mm-hmm. and that would make a huge difference to performance. But if you naturally have a hematocrit at forty nine percent, you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think happened to, I think it was Jonathan Waters, an American yeah, yeah. cyclist. He's now like a. Imagine going to the club and be like, "You guys, I'm sorry, today I can't cheat because my." Levels are, are, are well are good enough already. Yeah, <laughs> just imagine. Yeah, you, you hear oh, funny, funny stories from uh, cyclists where it was like David Miller, who's a yeah. very good time trialist from Britain, yeah. won, won the World Championships, and he'd won some smaller event clean. Yeah, and this is back in the mid nineties when there's no testing, so there's no point in doing it clean. Yeah, and his colleagues just thought he was being unprofessional. For not doping. Yeah, I mean that's that's horrible. Um, there was a similar case you probably know about this. In uh, it's so random, I know, but in I think I want to say Bangladesh, there is a huge bodybuilding scene. Uh, maybe maybe it's Kalash India. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But in that part of the world, um, there is a huge bodybuilding scene uh, coming up, and mm-hmm. there is a 17 year old who won uh, recently the bodybuilding. I think it was in Bangladesh. Uh, in that in that in that uh, area, without cheating, completely mm. clean. He uh, he's surrounded by people who are cheating. The coaches are adamant, uh, are using not sterilized needles, completely unhealthy. Everyone around them is cheating, uh, doping or injecting hormones or yeah. whatever. But this one professional, a small young professional from this, uh, I can't remember his name unfortunately. Uh, Managed to win the whole competition without cheating, which is which is incredible. Well, I think he's in bodybuilding. Taking steroids isn't really cheating. 
Unless, unless you're yeah, doing I, a natural, I'm doing the, the finger quote. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're doing a natural competition, it's not cheating to be using steroids. Yeah, again, this they might brought be in, natural, They brought in a safety thing back in yeah. the 90s about using diuretics. Yeah. Because there was people sort of cramping up and collapsing and potentially having heart attacks on stage. Yeah, yeah. So the bodybuilding community doesn't care about what steroids you... Actually, they're very interested to know what steroids people are taking. Yeah, yeah. I remember Andreas Munzer, when he died, people wanted to know what stack he was using <laughs> because he was incredibly ripped. Like yeah, you could yeah. see all of the muscle fibres on his legs and his yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because he had such good condition, people wanted to know... What, and, oh, yeah. You're not in condition. You're not conditioned unless, you can, unless your ass looks like a wall. Oh, my God. In his ass. Imagine being a swimmer and a bowling... Just, see, imagine coming... To a swimming pool, having cheated in a bodybuilding competition, and just jumping in. <laughs> just well, if you, oh, watching bodybuilders swim is it's fantastic. It's horrible. Okay. I imagine there's so much splash and waves. You just want to chuck the washing in with them and go. All right, I'm uh, yeah, just turn off. Just get out. Get out. Yeah. But, uh, have you seen? Ass. Have you seen the what, former world's strongest man, Eddie Hall? Guy, British guy, mohawk, tattoos, yeah. huge. Yeah, swims beautifully. Okay, okay. He used to be a competitive swimmer before he started doing bodybuilding and yeah. weight training, really. Yeah, and he was quite good. I had like some junior records. Yeah, but then seeing this huge man swimming as well as he does, it's chef's kiss. Yeah, it looks. Because he should not be able to move like that. Yeah. Because big guys do not swim well. Yeah. And he just swims really nicely with good technique. It's really interesting to see such a huge guy swimming so well. Yeah. Right. Another tangent. Right, we're back. So we've got this test. So once... Actually, the 50% rule was for men. Female athletes couldn't go over 47, sorry. Mm -hmm. Because it would be hazardous competition for them. Or Mm -hmm. hazardous for them to compete. Which may or may not be true mm-hmm. but it's certainly it's what the excuse that they used mm-hmm. then we get to 1998 when because I, I can remember 1998 because I I sort of loved sort of watching Miguel Indurain okay. who he retired in 1997 mm-hmm. fortunately won five tours to France and I was just a boy at the time so I had no idea what people were up to 1998 uh, on the eve of the tour starting the Festina Soigneur, Willy Wurt, Wurt, mm-hmm. it was stopped by customs officers. Mm-hmm. And his car mm-hmm. was just full of steroids, erythropoietin, syringes, and other doping products. Mm-hmm. Um, I read his book, actually, mm-hmm. because he wasn't worried about the stuff that was in the trunk, the boot of the car. Mm-hmm. He was worried about this stuff that he had for himself <laughs> called Pot Belge. Okay. Now, Pot Belge... It's a, some liquid that you, you drink, mm-hmm. and you don't really know what's in it. Okay. Very often, a mixture of, like, maybe sleeping tablets, heroin, cocaine, mm-hmm. a bit of speed, mm-hmm. a little bit of whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just pot belge. Okay. And it's to help him keep awake, because he's driving so much between mm-hmm. all of the different places. Because uh, I think there were... Was the, the tour starting in Ireland that year in 98, or was it starting and in And he was a coach? Or Not a coach. The soigneur is a director. Technically, he's a masseuse. Ah, okay. Okay. But in those days, the masseuse was also like the the gopher, where we go go for this, go for that. Yeah, yeah. So he would drive the drugs around France for the Tour de France. Okay. 
because they couldn't have it on the team bus just in case somebody saw and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So he got caught with all of this stuff and the tour just went crazy. Yeah, yeah. There was police raids of hotel rooms, whole teams just quit. Yeah, yeah. Others said they were sick. Mm-hmm. They sort of think, oh, everybody's got a bit of a tummy bug. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't want a police raid in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And then Marco Pantani won. Um, and with Jan Ulrich coming second, mm-hmm. both were doping at the time, doped all the way through, mm-hmm. both won. So, yeah. So it didn't really matter that much, all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, could Pantani got thrown out of the Giro the next year for mm-hmm. having a, a very high hematocrit level mm-hmm. um, while he totally destroyed everybody. Mm-hmm. So you got to this point. So there's there's a vague test for it. Mm-hmm. It's not really a test. It's a health check. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 2001, there's a drug called Aranesp, which just means it's a longer-lasting EPO. Mm-hmm. So normally EPO, you have to take it every every day, every two days to bring your levels up. Aranep, you take it once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, around the same time, there's Dynepo, which is also a bit longer lasting. Mm-hmm. Now, there was the rumour around the 2007 Tour de France that Michael Rasmussen, that's what he was taking. Yep. No evidence. He got thrown out of the Tour de France while he's in the yellow jersey okay. because he lied about his whereabouts. Do you know the athlete's whereabouts system? No. So you have to, every day, you have to say where you're going to be for two hours of that day to say that so that the drug testers can come and do a random visit on you so but people, only two hours so if you say I'm two hours going to be in the hotel room watching TV or yeah, reading so, a book so most people, or playing chess let, let's say let's say you would say alright two hours every day you're going to be in the pool okay and you know every day from seven till nine yeah I'm going to be in the swimming pool so the testers can come and just find you that's where they can find you okay uh, other people will sort of set it from like six till eight in the morning, mm-hmm. so they have to come and be woken up. But they know that's where they're going to be every day. Yeah. So it would be too intrusive to because it's impossible to see. I know where I'm going to be for twenty four twenty four hours. Yeah, every day. I would think like obviously the more time gap you have, the more nervousness or if you're cheating, obviously the more you know antsy you will be. But two hours is. Just don't cheat or don't do anything yeah, within those two months. It's, it's, it's not a perfect system, but you can kind of hide from it. It seems that, like it's very easy done. to hide. I he mean, basically just lied and said that he was in South America. He was actually just in training in Italy. Okay, so, yeah. He said he was on a different continent so that he could see his, whatever the doctor he was seeing. Yeah. I don't think it was Michele Ferrari. Okay. No evidence of that, but whoever his doctor was. So did, did they travel to South Africa or... And well, that's the thing because if you say you're going to be in South America, I think oh, South in, America, sorry, yeah, sorry. So I can't remember where he was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, people train in South America, uh, South Africa as well. Yeah, yeah. In Stellenbosch, Actually, because in, it's really difficult and expensive for the testers to come and visit you there. Yeah. So you're less likely to get tested when you're in a weird part of the world training. Fun uh, fact: Finland's Finnish people Finns train in South Africa because it's in the same time zone. Yeah, we get that with the Brits as well. That yeah. it's. There's like within like an hour or so. Yeah. So it's why I had quite a few friends did Ironman South Africa mm-hmm. uh, from my club because even though it's a long distance, there's no jet lag. Yeah, yeah. And it made a big difference. Yeah. So I've known quite a few people going race in South Africa and loads of people speak English as well, which helps. So, mm. so that became a popular one. Yeah. So... The big, the I, I, next to go back for a second. I, 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 no, no, I, I think that if in that situation the athlete must pay 
back the expenses or travel to South America or whatever. It's, if it's you think about most athletes, most even a lot of because he he woefully died. He was literally well, he was oh, yeah, completely like from country. You got a four-year ban, and then he was, <laughs> and then loads of other athletes get this two or four-year ban. Yeah, yeah, and then they can come back. Yeah. He was just blacklisted from the sport, and I don't really know why. I mean, it's correct, I think. Yeah, but it, it's I mean, this whole thing about cheating in Durban in general, we can probably return to the end of this episode, where is it the correct thing to do, or what's the correct way to handle it, or how to stop it. But, um, yeah, I mean... Well, it's, so long as the rules are applied to everybody the same. Of course, I'm fine. yeah, of course. But... So around the same sort of time, um, well, Alejandro Valverde, who just mm-hmm. retired at this weekend. So he's like 40 now. And he went away, did his time, never admitted to doping, mm-hmm. and just came back. And yep. came back still winning stuff. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah. Where Rasmussen tested positive mm-hmm. and then didn't wasn't allowed to come back because he'd admitted to everything. Okay. So they, they had this idea in, in doping that you call omerta, like you have from the, the mafia. Mm-hmm. Like you never speak, you never admit anything, and you never speak to the authorities. Yeah, yeah. Whereas he'd went, yeah, this is what I was doing, this is how long I've been doing it, mm-hmm. and I even had my own little... So he actually had his own little testing machine to test his hematocrit <laughs> to make sure that he wasn't going to get... Because normally... If you test over fifty percent, then they'll do the the other tests on your blood. Well, it reminds me of those those people who cheat in. Well, not that they don't cheat. I mean, it's I think it's using mathematics to its best potential. But people who count cards or used to count cards in yeah. Las Vegas, and they were upon raided somehow, or the consumers would complain to the cops or something. The cops would somehow get justification. I'm not quite sure how that works legally to raid the guy's home, and the guy has like. Like this card number things, like card machines and stuff. Ah, oh, it's yeah, crazy. <laughs> I mean, like card counting is just playing, playing. Uh, what do you call it? Is blackjack? Yeah, that's yeah, blackjack. Okay. So playing blackjack really well. It's just remembering everything. If you can remember kind five, of. Of, yeah, if you can. Yeah, there's a mathematical thing when you. All right, I'm two up. I'm three. There is definitely mathematics. So I understand. I, a fun bit fact: from, I I learned how to card count at the age of thirteen. You know how to card count. I do, yeah. I did it. I, I, I don't know why. Uh-huh. I, I, oh, I learned it. Okay, and so, then also, yeah. uh, I was going to say, if we go to the casino together, yeah. I'm the one that's going to get beaten up Yeah, exactly. counting cards. No, no one's going to suspect the cripples. Fuck. Yeah, no, no that's way. not fair. <laughs> yes, they just go, all oh, yeah. right. And then, well, then you can just sort of yeah. do like a rain man and pretend that you've, you've got no, a No, no, no. I, I would say that, you well. know, no, I was, my, my, my justification would be, you know, my entire life, I have been unlucky, and today is just my lucky day. <laughs> just, not, no one's going to doubt that. No one's going to doubt, you know, yeah, well, he was hit, and you just say, you know, yeah. my dad hit me with his car, going to work yeah, drunk or something. If, if we go to the casino together, which was my, my first thought, yeah. is that they're going to think that somehow I've manipulated you into doing it, I get the... Kicked out of me, <laughs> and then I just sort of helped push you out. Yeah. Like, oh, no, the, the, the good thing is, you can you can come back with me in the wheelchair, and we were both. <laughs> yeah, next time I have to come back in the wheelchair as exactly, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, card counting is fascinating because I think now casinos and nowadays in modern time they have so many more advanced um, systems in place to 
stop card counters from yeah. succeeding. But um, I, it was really cool. In high school, I remember this vividly, there was a night where um, they had this kind of like formal get-together or something, like some kind of party for the for the kids. Uh, and this was when I was an exchange student in, in America. And um, my friend Henry and I, we were at the, they had like a gambling section or in, I'm doing quotes in, in the air. Like just like gambling, but like not gambling. And you 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 would win candy or something if you win yeah. something like that type of underage stuff. And a uh, blackjack was the guy had like one or two decks most, and I was like, oh shit! I was like, Henry, do you want some candy or some with the, the prize was? And I just got the whole thing. <laughs> and then and then the guy asked me like, why are you so? Why are you winning like almost everything? And because it was like a father of some child that I couldn't give a ass about, um, I was like, yeah, I'm just counting cards. And the dad, the, the dad was so fascinated that I could count yeah. the cards and be, and be successful and like take all his stuff from him, which is probably the school stuff. But yeah, but it, it was cool. I mean, I he was so fascinated. Everybody's fascinated with the idea of counting <laughs> cards because and, you know, I could not keep that kind of information in my head. And afterwards, I felt bad, kind of, because you know. I, I felt bad taking it away from this nice man, this candy or whatever it was. So I gave it back to him, and then he said, "No, no, you, you can just keep it." You earned it. it, it, it was, yeah, he was like, "You earned it." He, he was so, he was so happy for me that I was like counting cards, that he wanted to learn how to do it on the spot, and I was like, "All right, fine, let's go." <laughs> yeah. And when it comes oh, to sports, because I've never done any doping stuff. Well, um, certainly not stuff that was considered. I have never cheated though. That's I, I think counting cards is just using mathematics. I think cheating is a different avenue. Yeah. Though. So I remember. Yeah. So I did a lot of weight training and stuff back in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. And so back then there were these. Uh, what do you call them? Nowadays they're like precursors to steroid hormones. So there's something called androstenedione dione and nineteen nor androstenedione dione. So you could buy them from like the health food shop. Okay. And the idea with something like 19 nor mm-hmm. is that it's actually the precursor for a drug called nandrolone. Yeah, that, so you've heard of nandrolone. that I know. Of, yes. like it's nandrolone decker or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you take that and then your body then produces more more of this particular hormone. Yeah, yeah. And androstenedione dione is like the, the downstream cursor of testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I certainly found, and there was another one, DHEA as well, which didn't work and just made me very spotty. Okay. But uh, androstenedione dione, mm-hmm. that worked pretty well. I got stronger with it, and it was all about getting bigger and stronger. Okay. And then they stayed on the market for about a year, and then they got banned. Banned in... in, the, in you weren't allowed to sell them. And then, because there was a few sports... What was people, the reason, though, for being banned? It was just unhealthy, or...? Well, that's a funny thing. It was mainly because there were sports people getting caught. Okay. And then using those as an excuse, so it's possible that... There was a load of uh, nandrolone cases around this time, mm-hmm. so around '99-ish, okay. so, and and then say so like sprinters, tennis, loads of tennis players for some reason mm-hmm. were all caught using nandrolone, mm-hmm. and then they said, "Oh well, it was from this uh, supplement that I'd been using," and they kind of got away with it. So then it was banned from sale. Did it help with focus in in that respect, or was it just power just, output? Just strength. So tennis, you would use that for um, for talk on the on the well yeah i mean stuff. if you just think so it makes sense basically any of these drugs when yeah. it comes to like we're talking about epo yeah. today yeah so epo is useful for football players mm. and people who are interested in football go ah oh, it's, it's a skill game 
but if you see sort of this like the last 20 minutes of a game mm-hmm. if you're still able to run around you have 10% mm-hmm. more energy yeah you can then use those skills more effectively mm-hmm. throughout the game mm-hmm. which means that whether you're playing football or tennis if you're just a little bit less tired than the other guy yeah yeah because in a way you, you have more red blood cells you're yeah. fitter yeah yeah you, so essentially because it raises your VO2 max you're a little bit fitter yeah and then you, even on skill games, maybe not chess skill games, but yeah. skill sports. Yeah, yeah. Being able to just, and then also because you can train more well, as in well. In chess, uh, you probably know this, Adderall, yeah. the concentration drug, uh, used for ADHD patients. And, uh, I can imagine. ADD. Is that so, banned in chess? It, oh, of course it's banned. You can't, you can't uh, use Adderall in chess, but oh, okay. people still, you know. Yeah, I would imagine stuff like beta blockers as well when you've got nerves and... Yeah. Just to try and bring your heart rate down so that you can stay calm. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. No. no I'm not, mm, yeah. Because yeah. I can imagine sort of just the nerves, especially on like high level games. Yeah, yeah. Unless you sort of some savant that doesn't really notice anybody. Yeah. But yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. There's, there's very, I'm sure. If there's a if there's an activity out there where people can win, it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter if you can win money. Yeah. Yeah. Just something that you can win, mm. people will try and seek an advantage. Yeah, I think that's, you know, you said to, going back to a recent point in football, uh, to be more fitter than the other guy uh, at, you know, just about 10% or whatever. I, I don't know why someone would resort to drugs and actual cheating when you have, like, swimming or you, there is ways to become fit and even fitter. You have nutritionists, you have all of this other plethora of things. Of course, it takes time and, and effort and work, but I've noticed in, uh, in for example, when I play wheelchair basketball at the Finnish, uh, uh, how do you say, SM Liga? The National uh, League. The National League. Um, I've noticed that, you know, because it's swimming and because I'm, I'm more fit and better testicles, uh, uh, better endurance yeah. and stuff, um, some, some players are just... When they challenge me to a, a race from one court to the, the other side of the court and I defend them or they're pressing me or I press them, I, I feel it. I'm like, I'm just better than you. Just stop or yeah. just give up. And I, that feeling, it brings me joy to know I'm physically better than someone. But I'm, I've achieved that role by myself. I don't need... Yeah, any, but I can... It's so weird, like... The, the psychology of doping is probably a whole different episode. I mean, yeah, of course, the, probably. The, the, but on some level, one person decides to, to cheat, and especially if it comes to drugs. Yeah. Cheating with drugs. And then once so your competitor thinks, I think he's on drugs. Yeah. There's no way I can beat him with yeah, that exactly. drug. Yeah, exactly. I have to take drugs. And he's not getting caught for it. Yeah. It's like that daft thing that's been on the internet recently about uh, cheating and fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. With this big money. It was like oh, ten thousand dollars or Yeah, I saw this. Yeah. I saw this. That was did you see the aftermath video yeah, of the guy I'm, yelling people, at him? I'm surprised. He I was so angry. Because American rednecks there's a lot of guns in that. I crowd. know. I mean I'm how just, that guy didn't get shot, I don't know. I know, I know. But I mean Because even if it wasn't about money, somebody would cheat just to try and win. Yeah, I mean, imagine, I mean, like, those guys are fishers through and through, right? They are fishermen. They know when they caught something that weighs 
a certain amount of kilograms. Or, yeah, just or looking at it. Just looking at it. And this guy, uh, he saw a video. This guy had like an itty bitty like fucking fish and it weighed like nine times more than what it looked yeah, like. I think it was three, <laughs> literally three times more than the fish next to it, which <laughs> to my eyes look the same. See, the difference should be in grams. Exactly. Not, not like a kilo extra. Yeah, yeah, but this guy had like jacked, like he just, this fish was like the fish of the fish, you know what I mean? Yeah. Must have like steroid use, you well, know. Similar to doping, that people don't accept it if you're just doping and you're close to the top. Oh man! I mean, like like Lance Armstrong Just doping. Imagine. No, I, I don't think Lance Armstrong was doping any more than the, his competitors. I mean, possibly Jan Ulrich, because after 1998, probably Jan Ulrich doped I, I, a lot less. I, I, I he was the, still blood doping and e- doing a little bit of EPO, but loads of other people were doping just as much as Armstrong. The reason Armstrong was punished so severely is because he was a dick to everybody. No, that's what I was about to say. I think that the reason why Armstrong is was punished is because he was also a bully and people hate fucking bullies. Hundred percent. Like and and he didn't. He actually bullied them though. He bullied them with intimidation, oh, fear, like his, everything. His masseuse. He bullied bullied, <laughs> bullied her personally. Yeah. Because she knew what he was doing. Yeah. And because she even had to like apply makeup to like the injection marks yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then so bullied him. Bullied them with. Uh, his lawyers as well. Exactly. Like Greg LeMond, he destroyed Dr- Greg LeMond's uh, bicycle company, mm-hmm. LeMond Bikes, which was owned by Trek. Yep. He was such a big name, it was like, no, I just want to destroy Greg LeMond yep. for coming out. And Greg LeMond didn't even accuse him of doping. Mm-hmm. He just said, it's not good to be working with Michele Ferrari for his public image. Yeah. Because And then Armstrong was like, I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. And he was, so he was a knob. And yeah. that's why because people knew for a long time but it got so high but that, that, that's what I mean though it's such a shame because if you before he got outed and and all this uh, evidence came and proof came forward how he was a bully and stuff you, you must remember all the armbands like these yellow bands I the yellow them. ones yeah. I never had them because I, I've never how do you say it in English I've never taken the Similar to what Magnus Carlos said, never hold someone to, never hold the person, but do what they, hold them to what they do, yeah. uh, or the accomplishments they, they, they have done, or whatever that saying yeah. goes. It's the same way, never value you a person uh, that hold them in high regard in that matter. And I think people did that with Armstrong so much. Yeah, They, they did the armbands. I they, mean, the whole story with Armstrong, coming uh, back from cancer, I was mean, just... Pure Hollywood. Yeah, that's also and true. Even the surname Armstrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lance Armstrong. It yeah, sounds yeah. like a fake name that you put into a, a cheap story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the story, and then, but the people that were closer to him yeah. all knew what a monster he was. Yeah, yeah. From being quite young. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was not a nice person. Yeah, yeah. But, and he'd been sort of doping with different things for a long time yeah, yeah. Like through the nineties, and then, and then coming back from cancer and then winning. The biggest race in cycling. The story was way too. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that's and there was the whole cover-ups that, that, that like he, he donated a, a blood testing machine to the UCI, which was like I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but it wasn't a bribe mm-hmm. to cover stuff up. But mm-hmm. he had such a close relationship with like the, the top brass at UCI. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wanted to find him positive because. Other people were making money off it. Cycling went through a whole boom. Yeah, yeah. Cycling's very popular in Europe. 
cycle racing was never that popular in America. Yeah. Even after Greg LeMond and Armstrong, people were selling bicycles, people were selling jerseys. My, my <clears throat> a quick tangent or a quick like, antidote, sad note. My very first book I read in English as a child was actually a book about cycling racing. It was a child, a, a boy, like 10 or 12, and he you know, went through the motion to got a bike and then he started biking and then uh, in the end he won some kind of race. And the <clears throat> the author who wrote that book, uh, was obviously a children's author, uh, his child's mm-hmm. book, but it was, I remember at the time uh, reading it and just reading the English language and being so enthralled by this uh, book uh, and just I read it in like literally one day mm. or, uh, overnight I started like, I, was, I, I remember I was at camp some kind of camp and we slept in these bunk beds with other kids in the room and I remember I had I snuck in a small flashlight and I just faced the wall put the covers on top of me and just read the book from halfway through uh, to the end that night, just for gold sleeping the entire night. <laughs> it was such a good book. And the main character's name was Christopher. So, oh, right. I'll yeah. tell my brother about that then. Yeah, yeah. He's a Christopher. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, nice. So now we, after the 90s, we've got the testing came in. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this. So by 2007, we had Sarah, mm-hmm. which was a longer lasting one. But the athletes had kind of been sold this new, new version of EPO. Mm-hmm because they thought it was undetectable. Long-lasting, undetectable, perfect. <laughs> the problem was with mm. Sarah is that it wasn't undetectable. The manufacturers, or my Sarah, it was known as Sarah within the, the sport, so the manufacturers had sent it to the testers beforehand, mm-hmm. so then they actually did the testing that like Conconi didn't do mm-hmm. to then check for blood values and urine values. Yeah. So loads of people got caught. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember it was was it two thousand seven. There was like Ricardo Rico, Bernard Cole, uh, Emmanuel Sella. Loads of people just got caught straight away. Yeah, and then the rumor was that oh they've put a special marker into the drug for the. Bl- that wasn't really <laughs> what happened. Yeah, yeah. That it had all been pre-tested, so they already had a test ready for when it was released. Nice. So pretty smart, and they found it, and they found it. So not bad. Um, so these days sort of like I say lower level sports people will still be doping like mm-hmm. I say like the Portuguese team yeah because you still need to but it's harder to test people at like lower level mm-hmm. our level whatever yeah, yeah it's like nobody's gonna test me for drugs yeah like sort of performance inhibiting substance substances yeah, yeah um so where are we at so yeah you've got people covering up like mm-hmm. officials covering up so 2019, mm. there was a, a German broadcaster called ZDF, or mm. ZDF if you're English, mm. and they ran a program on doping in Kenyan running, mm. which kind of broke my heart, mm. because it turns out there's a lot of Kenyans mm. have been caught doping, mm. and then a lot of people talking about that there's like EPO in Kenya, mm. in sort of the big training centres, mm. where like, I don't want to think that Elliot Kipchoge, because mm. he's been around for a long time, is a legend when it comes to marathon running. I don't want to think about him doping because he's pretty cool. But there's a lot of people in Kenya have been been caught doping, high profile athletes caught doping. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell who's really at fault mm-hmm. because quite often, is it the coaches? Mm-hmm. Is it the people covering it up at the top? Mm-hmm. Sort of 
like the Kenyan doping authorities don't really seem to care. Four or five. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got sort of the, obviously we know about the Russians doping. Yeah. So it's still there. Do we, do you saw the, I'm assuming you have, but you, it just comes to mind, Icarus, the documentary on Netflix. It's so well known. Someone, yeah. someone mentioned it in sauna one time. Grigory Rochenko. Yeah. And it was fascinating though. I mean, the gains that this normal guy, such as yourself, he said, I'm going dope. And he did the whole film from start to finish, just absolutely cheating his ass off. But the thing was, he did worse because he had like mechanical problems and stuff with his body. So he did all of the testing. So you can test, yeah. and yeah, he got more than 10% of the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to destroy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then his gear stopped working. He got stuck in a really heavy gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mountain. Can you imagine that? But I mean, it's just funny because, I mean, you know, it made a much better documentary, though. It did, but because and, and I, that documentary would have been interesting to a nerd like me to see what what happens to a normal guy when he dopes. Exactly. Then, but yeah. That was just like a side story. Yeah, yeah. The whole intrigue about how the the Russian Federation was. Such oh a, yeah, that's what I was going to like talk the, next. What do you call it? The FSB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. KGB, the FSB. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they learned how they to open up whole the, the pee bottles and because oh, I felt those tamper-proof yeah, bottles, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they'd managed to open it with, and then it was like, all right, electron microscope, and you can see the scratches. Exactly. I mean, James Bond stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, just that that documentary opened their eyes and just how egregious the Russians took it uh, on that level mm-hmm. of just blatant cheating, yeah. and it was just. And then, and then when you know when you were younger, uh, when I was younger actually, and I heard that all of Russians got banned for um for cheating in in, in or for doping, yeah. right? And uh, you at that time during the Olympics, the Paralympics as well, you felt kind of generally sad. You're like, well, yeah. this is uh, an entire country is uh, is getting uh, blamed for a few quote-unquote bad apples. But then you see this documentary, or you see yeah. the other sources, how they were actually systematically doping their athletes and, and cheating on this very high level. Well, it's similar to the, the it's steroids. Inc- from, like, it's incredible. East, East Germany had the, the same sort of program yeah. where it was... Yeah. It, you were... Oh, it's so you, incredible. You I mean, to take... Uh, I mean, some of the steroids they were taking... Yeah. Like, were like Turinabol and Halotestin, which were um, really harsh drugs, yeah. especially for the women, and they messed people's bodies up for years exactly. with those drugs. Yeah. And but if you're an athlete, you don't have much else to go on, so the the pressure is huge. Yeah, I mean that's. I I think uh, ethically speaking, if you're a, a, an athlete at any point and someone you and there's pressure to cheat. Then that's the line that you should say. Okay, this sport is not for me. Yeah. Or, or this is where I draw the line. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I if I had ever been good enough to get to that level when I was younger, mm. where it was like, well, if you want to make the national team, you're gonna to have to. You, know, you start slow. You you maybe just have to use some kind of recovery medication using an IV. Yeah. yeah. And then you're still not recovering properly. Take like oral testosterone. Yeah, I and mean, like, well, we're worried that this might be hurting your liver, so. You better take yeah. testosterone injection, and then once you start taking injections, it doesn't really matter what you're putting in into the syringe. Right, right, right. And then it builds and builds and builds, and there's no big tipping point where you go, "This is wrong," because yeah. you've got 
So somebody in in charge. Yeah, that, that's why that's what I'm talking about. Like, if you never agree to the first manipulation, the the first flaw, or the first you know uh, unethical decision, then you are preventing all the other unethical decisions that fall yeah, as well. Yeah, but so I'm not sure. It would take a very very strong ethical person to go, and it, they would have to be quite abnormally sort of righteous. To, I don't to, know to about that. that. I mean, I think there's people like Magnus Carlsen who said he's completely against cheating. I mean, that's, mm. you know, um, the, people... I, mean, I would use the example of sort of Graham O'Brien in the 90s, mm-hmm. that he was, because uh, he'd, um, he'd turned prof- got a professional contract with a team mm-hmm. called Le Groupement, yeah. because he'd beaten the hour record, and he was just going to be there to do the time trials and mm-hmm. try and win. Yeah. And basically they said... This is what we take out of your wages for your medications, Mr. Graham. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Going, well, I don't need those. Why would I need those?" Mm-hmm. And then he quit straight away. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that this the team was the Le Groupement was actually a Ponzi scheme, and so they folded very quickly. So uh, yeah, not, not a very ethical bunch. Uh, no, I mean, but I, I think I think ethics in general, in especially nowadays in, in our society, along with education, which should come first and foremost. Ethics is close to second, if not on par with education. If you have an should ethical be. society... It, it's definitely not, but it, um, I would agree that it should It's, it's not, of course, and we have so many people who would, who would abuse that as well. In I'd have to say, living in Finland, I find Finnish people in general are more ethical. I think so. I, wasn't go- I was going to say honest, but ethical is probably a better way to describe it than, yeah. than places anywhere else I've been. I'm, I'm happy you can leave your stuff somewhere and come back later and still be oh, there. The amount of times I've I'm lost my that. phone and wallet, yeah. people will they, they never seem happy about it but they always work quite hard to get your stuff back yeah, to yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I, like, if you lose a phone in England, it's like it's lost. It's lost. Or you find a phone it's your phone. <laughs> it's uh, awful. Um, and like at, at the swimming pool yeah. The only times I've left that locker open, yeah, and I've got maybe my computer, phone, keys, yeah, yeah, and it happens to me maybe once every two weeks, yeah, yeah. Never had anything stolen there, yeah, because I mean, obviously that's stealing, but in the UK, eh, maybe have a little look through, have a rummage, <laughs> see if there's anything. Ooh, AirPods, they're small, they'll fit in my pocket. Yeah, yeah. mine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Where, crazy. Yeah, but the idea of finding something, finders keepers. Yeah, yeah. you don't really have that in Finland. So no. ethically, I think. Obviously, there's unethical people in Finland, but yeah. less so. Yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, we need to try and wrap up now. Yep, we do. Final final thing. You already know, but I love a great excuse. Yeah. I love hearing somebody lie through their teeth. Mm-hmm. And so my favourite one when it comes to EPO, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them out there. My favourite one is a woman called Fatima Yvelin mm-hmm. from France. Mm-hmm. So I took this from runningmagazine.ca. Mm-hmm. So she tested positive for EPO. Mm-hmm. She'd been a national level runner um, for France for a while. Mm-hmm. And this was towards the end of her career. I think she was in her late 30s, maybe mm-hmm. even early 40s. Mm-hmm. Tested positive. Her excuse for testing positive was that this half marathon was it was very heavy rainfall. Yeah. And then she'd managed to run past a drain from a chemical facility. Mm-hmm. And then somehow the effluent from the chemical facility mm-hmm. had come through the drains... Mm-hmm. And splashed up into her bladder via mm-hmm. her via her wet shorts, mm-hmm. and therefore that's how she tested positive for EPO. Yeah. And right. because of this insane, 
just no evidence. Yeah. I mean, there's even less evidence for this than the uh, Hans Niemann thing with the vibrating yeah, eggs. Up exactly. And where yeah. This one, it was like, all right, there's no way that you can normally test positive for mm-hmm. REPO. So, <laughs> it was like, how could this have got into my system? Well, yeah. It's not from a supplement, and oh, I didn't have this. It's a, <laughs> from stuff splashing up your shorts, somehow getting into your urethra, and then mm-hmm. you peeing out mm-hmm. is. Possibly the most unlikely story. It's from I've a ever chemical heard. plant that does not produce the chemical. <laughs> well, I don't know whether they're producing chemicals or med- medication, but yeah, yeah. there was no evidence that they produced EPO there. <laughs> so it was just we ran past this place. Oh, yeah, yeah. It had run hundreds of meters through a drain oh, yeah, yeah. At, a, at a concentration that yeah. that would have been performance enhancing for her. Yeah, no, brilliant. I mean, that is sort of. Trump level lying. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, she has a future in politics. Uh, don't get Trump; he's not that smart to come up with that. But uh, no, but it's yeah. it's, it's politician yeah. level lying. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, to to come up with such a good excuse. It's a good PR spin from type of like you know, my, here's how we're going to help my client save face. Yeah, I mean, you hear that from some lawyers, but this one uh, was this is yeah, beautiful. Future in politics or law? Yeah, yeah. Right, Alex, we need to so say much. goodbye to everybody. Yeah, right. See you next time here at the Deep End. Bye. Bye-bye.